Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Natural Hat Trick, hosted by Luke Lipinski and Craig Morgan. And Steve Peters. Welcome into episode 280 of the Natural Hat Trick podcast. Luke Lipinski here alongside Craig Morgan. Natty Hattie. And Steve Peters. Early morning, guys. Morning. Petey, did you hear the open to last week's show? I was very proud of myself. Uh, what do you mean? You didn't hear it? Oh, no. you didn't hear the Oh, you changed it? The music? <laughs> yeah. Did it go, Steve no. Peters? Did we get that in there? <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, <laughs> the natural hat trick with Luke yeah. and Steve Peters. Yeah. See? That's all it took. And then the music picks back up. People noticed it. See, this is the thing. I don't know the people that, that listen necessarily know the order we do this. So we record the podcast. Then I have to go back and edit in the open. So oh, it's not cool. like, so when PD was saying, Hey, my name's not in the open, it actually wasn't at that point, but I went back and put it in last week and, and now it's permanent. I have finally thing. arrived. Yeah. It's, it's finally arrived. You, the, the Jamie memories are starting to fade. Well, that was the whole point is just to yeah. get rid of those, black those out as quickly as possible. Um, all right, guys. So we've got, uh, we're going to do our, our playoff preview. We have six of the eight series set. I think we can kind of tell what the other two series are. We know who the teams are, but let's start with, uh, just some news around the league and beginning with the Coyotes, uh, a new head coach next season. We don't know who it is, but universally, man, everybody has, and, and I'm not saying that, you know, maybe this wasn't the best decision for him or the team or whatever. But everybody misses Rick Tockett on the way out the door. I mean, just such a, a consummate professional. And I can just speak from my own experience with him. Every time I interviewed him, every time I talked to him, just kind of off, you know, off mic or whatever, I feel like I learned something about the sport every single time I talked to that guy, which is not something you always get, even if somebody knows a lot, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. He's a guy that, um, <laughs> I've known as a player, an assistant coach, and a head coach. I've known Rick Tockett for a very long time. First of all, he's a really honest guy. He, there, there's no gray. There's black and white. You know where you stand with him as a player, as a staff member, as a person. Um, he's a good person. I, I, I think, you know, hockey fans here will miss him. They'll miss his honesty. They'll miss the way he speaks after press conferences and tells you how it is. Um, it was probably time. You know, for both of them, and he said it in in, in the article Craig wrote um, this morning. It, it's really a mutual decision, and I think it was time for him to move on and find something new. Um, he's a good hockey coach. He he can get players to to raise the bar on their own personal performance. We've seen it here multiple times. We saw it in Pittsburgh. Um, if he wants to coach again, Rick Tockett will coach again. Yeah, I agree with that, and and it's not just the fans that are going to miss him. It's 
let's be frank, it's the media too. Uh, you, you really appreciate that sort of relationship with a coach because they are your primary point of contact with a team. They're, they're probably the person that you talk to the most when you're covering a team. And if it's, if it's a guy that doesn't like dealing with media, a guy that, you know, is not a great guy or a guy that's just going to speak in cliches, there are a lot of issues that can arise with that relationship with a beat writer and a coach. Rick was always candid. He was, he's obviously a likable guy. He's, he's a good quote when you sit down with him too. And I, one of the things that I really like when he was angry with me for something that I wrote, he didn't let it just fester there. He let me know. He would pull me aside the next day at practice and ask if we could talk about it. And we always talked it out. Sometimes we just disagreed on something, but most of the time we came to an understanding. I just appreciated the fact that he would always want to communicate with me. We would always talk it out rather than having that sit between us and maybe impact the relationship. Yeah. Communication is so big really in every, every job, really just in every aspect of life, but not every coach gets that Craig, which is interesting even at the highest level. So it's good that you bring that up. Um, Let's get into where he may potentially end up or what's next for him. Before we do that, though, Craig, where do you think being a guest on the Natty Hattie ranks on his all-time list of accomplishments? Because it's got to be top 10, right? Well, hopefully you won't hear this because I'm going to say it's probably the, the greatest achievement in honor of his life. Oh. Yeah, it's right up there with the Stanley Cups, I, I think I've heard him say. <laughs> Wait, maybe that was somebody else. Um, Back-to-back Stanley Cups, I should point Yeah, The chances of him, him hearing this, Craig, I, I would say you're you're probably pretty safe. Okay, good. All right, that's that's good then. Um, all right, so there no, there sure. are there are already some openings around the league. I mean, we know just by the history. We talked about this a little bit last week when it kind of seemed like the writing might be on the wall. There's going to be more openings next year. I mean, can he pick and choose? I feel like he has that option, but you also don't want to wait too long. I don't know that you can pick and choose. And it, I asked him this question in the uh, Q and A I did with him today: um, what what the process would look like. And he said there are people out there that are advising him to just get out and pound the pavement, sell his name. And he, he just said, I'm not going to do that. That's to be honest. Uh, I think teams know what they want already in a head coach and they know how to reach me. So they know if I fit, whether they're going to interview me. I think he's right on that. He's got enough of a resume and a reputation and, and connections around this league that pretty much everybody knows what they're going to get with Rick Tockett. I do think he'll have opportunities I think there may be as many as four of those out there right now. We've all seen the Seattle rumors. I would expect him, given his relationship there and what they're looking for, to at least get an interview. I think there are some other teams as well that will be looking at him. We'll see how it plays out. He didn't really want to talk about that when I spoke to him yesterday, but Rick Tock is going to have coaching opportunities in this league. Well, Craig, are you breaking the one you just heard a few minutes ago or not? The city? The, 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 the Quinn, Quinn yeah, getting fired to the Rangers. Yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's a fit that you go, when you talk about Rick Tockett, you're going to have to have a marriage that works for both parties. There are so many coaches that are out there right now. Um, Gerard Gallant hasn't worked in almost 18 months. So here, there's a guy that's going to be looking for a job. Claude Julian's out there. Like there's a list and John Tortorella's out there. So you've got some pretty experienced head coaches in the National Hockey League that are looking for work. Um, Rick Tockett falls into that category, but then you've got the young up and comers. You see a lot of the list that, that you've shared with the Arizona applications. And, um, 
it's going to have to fit for Rick Tockett. It's going to have to fit what he's looking for in facilities, management, ownership, um, roster. And it's also, we talked about his style is going to have to work for the ownership and management of that team. So you're right. When, when management says they know what they're looking for, you know, you have, I've talked to managers and, you know, they, they go through the process of interviews and they look, talk to coaches about their systems and, you know, how they want to play. They know ahead of time they've got a really good feel of, of, of the people they're going to narrow that list down to. And they're just looking for that coach to walk in the room and say just the right thing. And it's not necessarily, hey, we're going to forecheck like this. And this is a, they want to hear whatever that keyword or buzzword they're waiting for. They want that coach to say. And once they say that, it's over. So <laughs> they, Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I just think that's what you're going to see for Rick Tockett. It's going to have to be that marriage where where he feels comfortable with a general manager and an ownership that they really want him. And I think once you see that, I think he'll be behind the bench again. I think some of these teams sometimes use the interviewing process to learn things as well. And it, it can certainly help you when, when you're getting ideas through the process. But, yeah, I think most teams zero in on what they want in a coach. Uh, we talked about this off the air, but I'm curious what you guys think in terms of Right now, at least, the best fit in, uh, among the openings. To me, I look at that Rangers job and think, wow, an up-and-coming team like that would be intriguing. And then Seattle, of course, with with the opportunity to build something from scratch with what you know is a really good ownership group and what is probably going to be a really good franchise. Yeah, I think those are the two most intriguing for Rick Tockett. I think those are the two best fits right now. Um, I, I keep saying it. It's interesting. Philadelphia Flyers, I think, were disappointing and not making the playoffs this year. And they're looking at Elaine Vigneault as, as maybe a guy that's, you know, going to be on the hot seat right away at the start of next season. Um, but he's got three years left on his contract. I see Rick Tockett behind the bench in Philly as being, wow, what a fit for, for, for all kinds of reasons. Um, so you take that out of the mix and that New York Rangers job is really interesting. It's a team that's close to winning. Um, and being in the playoffs, they've got a good mix of young talent and some guys that can really play some high end talent. And there's no bigger media market, um, than New York City that would love to have a guy like Rick Tockett doing post-game interviews, just like they did John Tortorella. Um, Seattle will be interesting. I, I think people are going to expect them to come out of the gate similar to Vegas, you know, with after the expansion draft and ready to go into the playoffs and run for the cup. I'm not sure lightning strikes twice there. I, I think they're going to have a little bit more of a difficult time getting there. I think they'll be a good team. But I think there'll be a team fighting to get into the playoffs. I don't think you're looking at a perennial playoff team like Vegas. So that's going to put a lot of pressure on that Seattle team. Yeah, I think that's a great point with with the expectations Seattle is going to face. If I'm Rick Tockett, I, I'm probably of those two. I agree those are the top two. I'm probably looking more at New York. And, and it, I guess it just depends what you want and what he specifically wants and you know how much of a choice you ultimately have because these are the most coveted jobs in the world. But you know with Seattle – you're not going to have a superstar or two superstars. You may be able to build a good team again, even if it's not as good right out of the gate as Vegas was. You could still have a good team. And there's certainly something intriguing and enticing about building a team from scratch. But if you go to New York, that Rangers team, we said this last week, I feel like they're already on the right track. I felt like they were a little ahead of schedule this year, and yet now they just blew out their GM and their president and their coach. So other than maybe some instability with ownership that, that you know, is or isn't there, I'd probably want that job coming off of having just coached the Coyotes for the last few years. It's just, it's such a different thing. So I guess it just sort of depends if, if Tockett wants to continue down the process he was on the last few years 
or if he wants a complete change. I mean, that New York media market is obviously the complete opposite side of the world. You're going to have Artemi Panarin. You're going to have Capo Caco and Alexi Lafreniere. And I mean, you've got, you've got not just a good team, but superstar potential on that team too. So that's to me the most coveted job out there right now because it shouldn't be open. You, and last, have Jimmy, you have Jimmy Dolan too to deal with. And, and, and lastly, yeah. look, you look at he has finally stepped off that hamster wheel for the first time in a long time. Mm. And, and that, that NHL season's a grind emotionally, physically. If, if you saw Rick Tockett on his post game press conferences over the last few weeks, and Craig mentioned it in his article, he looks tired. And I don't think people understand the drain emotionally and physically that that season, and specifically this season, how condensed it was, takes on a body. He is going to take the next few weeks and he's just going to get his feet up and relax. And, you know, maybe I, I, I'm not speaking for him. Maybe it's just like, you know what? Maybe I just need to, to slow down for a minute and just let's, let's see what the landscape provides for me. So I, I don't know if he's jumping right back in. He's a guy that likes to compete. I think that drives him the competition and going up um, against his peers. I think that drives him, but you know, there are other ways to make a living. And, and it was mentioned again, you know, TNT is coming on air. Can you imagine Charles Barkley yeah. and Rick talking on a panel? Talking hockey? <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I was going to ask you about this. I'm glad you brought this up, Steve, because I, I was wondering if, if, if he doesn't get the New York or Seattle offers, could we see Rick just take a, a step back? He, again, you don't want to be, you don't want to be out of the game too long in this business because you can just be forgotten. I thought Dave Tippett played it smart with what he did with Seattle. Um, maybe a TV thing is a way to keep you in front of people and keep them thinking about you. But do you think maybe if he doesn't get those two ideal jobs because of the situations he's been in, in Tampa and Arizona, is Rick Tockett the kind of guy who can take a step back and say, okay, I'll just take this year, not off, but maybe do TV or something else to stay in the spotlight and then wait to see if there's another opportunity like for instance, Philadelphia, if it opens up in another year. Yeah, I think he is. And I think that's what we talked about. He's going to have to have the right fit. He's confident enough in his coaching abilities to say, hey, you know, when I when I went to Tampa, I wanted to be head coach. I had to take a situation, whether I liked the situation or not, I needed a coach. Um, Arizona was a little different because he'd been here. He had relationships here. He was excited about what they were doing. The next head coaching job is going to have to be a good fit. And if that good fit isn't any of the teams we've discussed, he'll wait. And I don't think that that's going to hurt him in the short term. You can't take two years off, clearly. But, yeah, I think he is a guy that's going to wait for that opportunity that really suits him. Um, so, yeah, you could see him sitting out for a little while. Let's go through some of the names. I know we, we touched on this briefly last week, but some of the names that might be in line to replace Rick Tockett here in Arizona. Craig, who do you have? Whew, got a lot of them. Uh, I don't know if we want to go through this laundry list, but you look at a guy like Providence College coach Nate Lehman. You got Mike Van Ryan sitting in St. Louis, who won a cup with Bill Armstrong, and also coached. He was a development coach here and the uh, Tucson Roadrunners coach. He's a candidate. Lane Lambert is another guy whose name keeps coming up uh, when I talk to people about a really good candidate. There are a lot of other names on that list. I'm not going to rattle off every name, but those are some of the key guys. I don't think. That they're, I'm certain they're not going to go after one of those veterans that we mentioned earlier, like a John Tortorella, Bruce Boudreau, um, uh, Claude Julien, uh, Gerard Gallant. Those guys are not going to be the next head coach of the Coyotes. And I also know that the guys on the staff right now, guys like Phil Housley, who has a year left on his deal, and Jay Verity, those guys are not going to be the next head coach of the Coyotes either. 
Yeah, it's they're looking to grow the team with a coach, with the young talent and the core pieces they have. They want to grow that group together. But that's, that's interesting to me is what happens to the veteran Coyotes um, and how do they fit in with a young, young less experienced coach, Phil Kessel, Oliver Ekman Larson, where do they fit in? to another rebuild with not only, you know, new players, but a a new young inexperienced coach. How is that relationship going to work? Phil Kessel thrived with his relationship with Rick Tockett. It was open door. They communicated well. I think coach Tockett got the most out of Phil um, of any coach in the league. I think that relationship is going to be one as a Coyote fan to really keep an eye on. Mm -hmm. What what happens to Phil Kessel this offseason? He just had a rebound season where he scored 20 goals and had 43 points in 56 games. Phil had a productive season. He has one year left. His salary is nominal. It's almost it's next to nothing. I got to look that up again. I think it's around a million bucks that he's actually owed in cash. Um, his cap hit is not that bad because uh, Pittsburgh retained some. Do they look to move him now? I, I think they're going to look to move Phil Kessel. I also think they're going to try again to move Oliver Ekman Larson. Curious for you guys' thoughts on that. The problem with, with moving Phil is just, I mean, he came off a season, like you just said, Craig, 20 goals and whatever, 56 games. That's actually slightly ahead of his career goals per game pace. And, and I mean, it, some of those years were with Pittsburgh and Toronto had some, some pieces back then too, but Pittsburgh, especially, and even Boston for him to do that here. If you're going to move him, I understand some of the logic because you, you assume Rick Tockett was getting the absolute most out of him. He's been doing that for a while now. But you need scoring next year. So if you're going to trade away your your most reliable goal scorer for another year, you've got to get scoring back, right? Are you you? I mean, at that point, you're trading for an established prospect, aren't you? Or are you just trying to move on from the salary? Well, I would hope they're trading for a prospect. I hope they're not. Yeah, I don't think you're going to get a first round pick for Phil Kessel. So I would I would hope they're trying to get a prospect. But again, with with next season. I don't know. I, I, I think the Coyotes might be content with taking a step back next season to get high draft picks. I really think they, I'm not saying they're going to tank, but I don't know that, you know, we need goal scoring. So we have to keep Phil Kessel around will be the driving force in their decision-making. I think it'll be about more acquiring assets. Petey? I agree. I agree with you, Craig, hundred percent. They're, they're looking for draft picks and prospects. They're not looking for their Stanley cup window to be next season. That's down the road a little bit. And Phil Kessel, he's an immediate need, um, I also, it's interesting though, he's got his no trade, so he's going to have to put some teams up where he wants to go. I, you know, you hate to say it. Is there a marriage there between coach and player? Is, does Rick Tockett land somewhere and Phil Kessel adds that team to his list? I honestly could see that. Um, I don't know if Phil Kessel will be an Arizona Coyote next year. I guess I'd be surprised if he is. In Uh, terms of, Sorry, uh, just a quick thing, Luke. His contract next season, he's got a five million signing bonus, which I, that's, that's, I'm trying to remember. That's due right at the start of the season, right, Petey? I, just before. Yeah. And, and, uh, his base salary after that is $1 million. So, I mean, I guess if they trade him before, you know, his signing bonus is due, they, a team would have to pick that up, but just something to keep in mind. Go ahead, Luke. Uh, philosophically, I mean, are you trading for, draft picks or prospects do you have a preference if you're the coyotes right now because i'd almost rather get established prospects because you're right you're not going to get a first round pick from for a lot of these guys and if you do it's going to be a late first round pick which to me is more of a lottery ticket than hey i want the the number two prospect in boston system because i've been watching him for two years and i like him or whoever you know 
to me, yeah. it's the prospects. That's what I'd be looking at. Go ahead, Petey. Yeah, they're going to need players. they got to fill a 20-man roster, and if you start trading all these people away, they don't have draft picks. They don't have guys that are ready to step in necessarily in, in Tucson. You, you're going to have to get some prospects that are ready to play. So the answer is absolutely prospects, especially when you're looking at a new young coach. Let them all grow together. They need prospects. So, um, you know, Bill Armstrong has prided himself on his scouting acumen, and let's let's – Put it to the test. Let's see where where and who they can pick up from around the American League or around Europe that he's seen that maybe he can find as a diamond in the rough. Who knows? Uh, last thing that Craig threw in the notes here with the Coyotes, is it worth pursuing Jack Eichel or Evgeny Kuznetsov? And I'll, I'll just – I'll throw this out there to start. Kuznetsov's kind of up and down. To me, he looks like somebody that's really good on a team like Washington with a ton of talent around him. I'm guessing a lot of people would say it's not worth pursuing Eichel if you're not going to the cup next year or the year after. And and I understand that logic to a certain extent. And I also, if I were going to pursue Eichel, I'd want to know that he's all in. I, you know, if, if he's going to be a problem during a rebuild, then it's not worth it. But I can't help but look at Jack Eichel and say, A, he probably should have been a Coyote after the 2015 draft. B, that's the number one center. And I don't know when else you're going to get one of them. So the Eichel one, I, I take a second and I look. Kuznetsov, Good player, but I think he's better in a different situation. He's even been kind of up and down with Washington this year. But Eichel, I would take a long, hard look at. I don't think it'll happen. Petey? You know, uh, we've, we've talked about this before. It's all, for me, it's always about the fit in the room and the players and the coach at the time. Unfortunately, and I don't want to disappoint Coyote fans, I don't think this is the time for either of those players. Luke hit it on the head on a number one center, um, which they've coveted for years and haven't been able to obtain. Um, I just don't think this is the right time to spend what they're going to have to spend to acquire. Um, Jack Eichel, I, I just don't think it's a good fit in the room. I don't, Eichel's going to want to go win. That's what I think. And, and I don't know if the Coyotes are the place for him to land right now. And I don't think Bill Armstrong's ready to give up assets to acquire that number one center when we really need prospects and assets. So I'd be su- extremely surprised if any of those things happened here. Yeah, I would too. Craig, I would assume you're, you're assuming neither one of those is going to happen. Yeah, his yeah. silence probably yeah. speaks volumes, I guess. I, I mean, I, I know, you know, I've had some fans ask me about it. This happens with fans whenever a player of that caliber comes available, but yeah, I'm on board with 100% with what you guys said about this. I, I don't see it happening. I thought you were pulling a Craig Morgan power move where you put a question in the notes. And then when I ask it, you just sit there and look at me like, that's a dumb question. Like, why would you ask that? I don't know if it's too early in the morning, if there's no coffee, like Craig's got it. Let's go. He needs his protein drinks. I can get his protein. Yeah. We're cutting into here. cutting into his workout time. I think my recovery shake. No, he's, exactly. he's, still, he's actually bench pressing while he does the podcast. People can't see it. Yeah, if people are watching, he's got his 10-pound dumbbells doing curls right now. <laughs> it's, a, it's a leg day, boys. It's a leg day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to go through the uh, each first-round matchup that we have right here. Do we want to give our Stanley Cup predictions, or do you just want to hold oh, off early. on that? Okay. Early. <laughs> I don't know. I don't you think? Uh, I do we know how to do, Yeah, I want to be a coward and not do cup predictions, especially when they played in four separate leagues this year. I, I don't right. know. Well, I, I will just I, because this is going to be the cup. I'll say it'll be Toronto and Colorado, and I want it noted that I wasn't a coward. Um, wow. Okay, let's, wow. let's, let's, let's go through uh, North Division. So the way we're going to do this, we'll we'll give our prediction for the series at the end, but we're just going to kind of go around and throw what main storyline we're looking for in each series. Right? Is that how okay. we want to do it? Okay. Sure. Um, 
I guess I'll start us off and then we'll just kind of rotate who starts each series. So I'll start with, with Toronto, Montreal. To me, the biggest storyline is how much more can these two fan bases hate each other three weeks from now? Because this hasn't been a playoff series somehow since the late seventies. And I, I don't necessarily think it's going to be that good of a series. I think Toronto is a lot better. But you never know when you get something like this. It's not just two original six teams. It's 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 the two most prominent fan bases in Canada, correct? I mean, this is hockey this Mecca is going to be a bit hockey Mecca two. Yeah. So this this is going to be intense. It's going to be fun. There's going to be penalties, and I'm looking forward to it. Seven two one was the season series in favor of the Maple Leafs this year. So yeah, they they dominated the season series. But as we mentioned, this is a heated heated rivalry. These are these are two the two hockey capitals of the world probably and. They speak different languages. They don't like each other. There's, there's a lot of reason for animosity. They played each other 15 times in the history of the NHL. That well, Actually, yeah, that's that's all I found. I was surprised it was that few, actually. Montreal leads all time, 8-7. Uh, potential consequences of this is one of the things that I look at. Mark Bergevin is entering the last year of his deal as GM in, in Montreal. I think a first-round exit, especially with all that they spent in the offseason, all the moves they made, I think that could be the end for him. And look, if the Leafs, Leafs lose in the first round again, you have to wonder about Kyle <laughs> Dubas as well, right? I mean, because that city's going to be apoplectic at that point. All right, hang on. I'm looking that up word up. Hang on. <laughs> he just made it up. It's okay. Google it. No, I, I mean, I don't know what else there is to say. If Canadian hockey fans have been waiting for this for years, this is every hockey fan's dream. It's Hockey Night in Canada, four out of seven nights of the week. Like this is, it's going to be, Absolute bedlam up in Canada. The, the, the news media coverage, the morning after reports, it's not going to be close. Um, unfortunately, you're look, the one interesting thing though, you got two head coaches with very little to no playoff experience as head coaches. So that will be an interesting element of this. Unfortunately for Montreal, they're kind of limping into the playoffs. They've got a mm-hmm. lot of injuries, including Carey Price. If Price was on the top of his game and playing lights out hockey right now, it might help equalize the series a little bit, but he's dealing with concussion issues. He's got Brendan Gallagher, one of their top offensive spark plugs. He's questionable to start the series. Shea Weber's questionable to start the series. Drew Ann's out with personal issues. I, I, I just think Toronto's too good, too strong, too powerful. And I, I don't think it's going to be much of a series. So I'm going to say the Toronto Maple Leafs in five. Luke. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. I have Toronto in five and, 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 I hope it's it's a better series. I mean, Petey just laid out all the reasons why it might not be and probably honestly won't be a very good series. Like the hype will be great in the build up to each of the first few games, but by the time it's three nothing Toronto in game four, it's it's not going to be as compelling. I, I'm interested what you guys think. I mean, these guys have played each other ten times already this season. If this series were to go seven games, Toronto and Montreal would have played each other seventeen times by the end of that. That's <laughs> You are playing with fire at that point, having these two fan bases go to head to head that many times in one year. Yeah, they literally uh, Quebec, the province of Quebec, may secede at that point. Yeah, they tried that already. I have uh, I've taken Toronto in six. I'm going to give Montreal an extra game just on blood and guts because I think this is such a passionate rivalry. But yeah, and to me, no chance Montreal wins this series. By the way, Craig, before we go much further, is there just an internal friendly wager on this at all? No, like, we don't. Have, have we done that in the past? I know sports gambling's legal here now, Craig. I think I saw something on the news. No, hmm. nothing. Craig, soda Craig pop, is... nothing. <laughs> soda pop, just a f- f- bragging rights. Soda pop. How about uh, how about bragging the, rights? Uh, bragging. Yeah, bragging rights are boring. 
I agree. That's why I brought it up. Like a free lunch or something for the winner, I guess. Buy the winner a free lunch or a free dinner. We can buy Craig an IPA if he wins. I mean, it won't be an issue because he's not going to win. But yeah, we'll we'll definitely do that. (laughs) All Um, right. Sorry. Interested to get your guys' thought on this too, Craig. I think in the past you have you've pretty consistently been like the what they did in the regular season. That series doesn't matter when the playoffs roll around, which I tend to agree with. But when teams this year, when they've played so many times, do you think it carries more meaning this time? Yes, I do. It's it's a lot of meaning. It's it's a bigger body of evidence, and it's more recent and. It's not like they were bouncing around the league, having to play all these dis- different teams. They're really familiar with each other. So, yeah, I think it matters more. And I also think from a coaching perspective, it really matters because you've had the opportunity to see what teams are playing and what they're throwing at you, what kind of systems, how they're trying to beat you. You've seen it all season long. So I think that gives the coaches a little bit of an advantage on how they're going to approach this series. You know, a lot of times you've played a team maybe four times uh, and you're opening up against them in first what you've seen 10 times here in the North division. So I think, yeah, from a coaching perspective, I think this holds a lot more weight than a normal 82 game season. All right. So we're all taking Toronto, Craig and six, me and PD and five. Uh, I'm, I'm actually going to write these down this year. Craig, you want to start us off with Edmonton and Winnipeg? Hmm. Uh, a similar situation here. I think, you know, I know Winnipeg beat an exhausted Vancouver team last night, five to nothing. Vancouver's like playing every day for the rest of the season. Um, but Winnipeg's not playing good hockey. They really are. They've lost nine of their last 11 games. Um, I think Paul Maurice is in big trouble there if they go out in this first round. He's been there a long time, one of the longest tenured coaches in the NHL. So that's what I look at there. I just don't – you know, I know people love Winnipeg's forward group, and that's a good forward group, but I don't think they have a very good blue line. They have a terrific goaltender, but I don't think they have a very good uh, blue line. I, I just I, – I don't see them beating Edmonton in this series with – the way McDavid and Drysdale are playing. You're looking at another Canadian matchup. Canadian fans are going to love it. They're going to love picking up the paper in the morning and overthinking and overanalyzing this for sure. Everybody's going to be watching McDavid and Drysdale, and can they put up those kind of numbers in the playoffs? Um, Winnipeg's a tough team at home. It, it's a great atmosphere there. They're tough to beat at home. Yeah. They're usually a team that I would say is physical, can push you around. That's not who Winnipeg is anymore. Um, unfortunately, you know, injuries have plagued this team all year. Um, they just never really felt like they got it going. And, and now they're limping into the playoffs with a, a struggle over their last 10. I, I'm very concerned at, at what the Jets are going to be able to do. And this is the big test for Dave Tippett and the Edmonton Oilers, what can they do in the playoffs? Last year, huge disappointment in the bubble in, in their home city and their home rink. Um, so they're going to have to answer for a lot. You got Mike Smith coming back. Um, is he looking to, you know, resurrect his playoff career that has struggled over the last few years and last few teams? Um, so I think those are the storylines. Um, but we'll talk about our picks in a minute, Luke. Yeah. I, and my, my big thing is, is Winnipeg, are they awake? Are they aware that the series is about to start? Like you said, Petey, they're two and nine in their last 11 games. And in a weird way, this, this North division, which was one of the most compelling at the start of the season and any given night, it's compelling in a weird way. To me, it's become a two team division, which bodes really well in the second round. If we do get Toronto at Edmonton in the second round, that's a potentially great series, like a potentially historically great series with Matthews and McDavid and everybody involved. But these first two round matchups, uh, I, I don't know that we're going to see a whole lot of competitiveness because Winnipeg is really stumbling into the playoffs. And that's, I don't totally believe in momentum from game to game, but when you're not playing your best at all heading into the playoffs, that could be an issue. 
I want to throw out the stats that Dreisaitl and McDavid put up against the Jets this year. Courtesy, uh, Murad Atesh, the great beat writer for The Athletic, pointed this out to me, and I should give a shout-out to Arpan Basu in Montreal. Basically, I relied on other people to come up with all the storylines for me, so I'll just put that as well. Wow. I like having other people do my work for me, as you guys have probably noticed by now. Wow. So here's Connor McDavid's stats against the Jets in nine games this season. Seven goals and 22 points. That's just ridiculous. Leon Dreisaitl, a pedestrian, seven goals and 12 points in nine games. Oh, pathetic. <laughs> Did you see the so stat? They those two guys down? I don't know. Somebody put out the stat that McDavid has more points in his last 14 games than anybody on New Jersey has all year. <laughs> just, <laughs> wow. This <laughs> is just depressing. Yeah. Um, we're burying the lead here, though, guys. Are you? How excited are you for that big Edmonton-Vancouver regular season game on Saturday that uh, means absolutely nothing? Huge. Yeah. We talked about this earlier when we talked about Vancouver and their COVID situation, and this is exactly where we ended up with Vancouver playing Calgary four times after the playoffs have already started. And they just put out the game times yesterday. They're playing at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday. Back-to-back, 1 o'clock Tuesday, Wednesday. What? What's the TV viewership for those games going to be? Talk about HK. <laughs> all right. Uh, oh, we got a yeah, prediction. Go yeah, ahead. I think we've all kind of tipped our hand, but let's let's. Uh, how many games? I'll start. I have uh, I have Edmonton in. I'll I'll say six. I this wouldn't shock me if it was less, but I'll go Edmonton in six. Edmonton in six. I got Edmonton in six too. Yep. And I'm and I'm flipping on you guys again. Uh, this this is. Just to me, like the so-called great 80s rivalries between Winnipeg and Edmonton, in which Winnipeg did not win a single series. Uh, the Oilers are going to take this in five. Ooh, there we okay. go. All right. Uh, let's uh, – okay, so that would be the north. We would have Toronto and Edmonton, which, look, I want some compelling first-round series, but there are a couple second-round series that we absolutely have to get. And to me, Toronto-Edmonton is, is probably at the top of that list, honestly, for all the reasons we just kind of laid out. Uh, okay, let's go over to the East. Oh, you're going to make me do this. Um, Pittsburgh and the Islanders. I, I guess I can start us off. My intriguing storyline is, will the Penguins actually win a playoff game for the first time since 2018? Not series, mind you. Game. Game. That's true. Coyotes have won more playoff games than Pittsburgh. Yeah, you're getting a feel now for playoff Luke. This is, yeah. this is how he gets when the Penguins. <laughs> I wonder which way he's going here. Three cups in recent <laughs> memory, but this is Luke when it comes down uh, to the loss with the yeah, Penguins. Well, that, that's... That's back when Malkin was, was in the league. I mean, that was a, a whole different time. Once, uh, once, once Rick Tockett left the Penguins and Evgeny Malkin retired and put out a stunt double for three years, it completely changed everything. This I is think the point where if we had a drop, I would just play a sound of Eeyore talking. <laughs> Not so good, Pooh. Um, so Pittsburgh's dominated this series this year. They're six and they, what are they? Six and two in the season series, eight and two in their last 10. Pittsburgh, I didn't even know if they were a playoff team 20 games into the season and, and they've finished so strong. They've, you know, their goaltenders both were injured, but they're both coming back. They're practicing yesterday. Um, the Islanders, you know what? They've got a good coach. They, uh, they've got a guy who's one behind the bench and that, that does pull some white and they're deep. They've, they've got four lines. They win by committee. Um, this could be a pretty good series. It's, it's a better series than I think people are maybe thinking of on paper. Um, but I'm looking forward to watching this one. I'm not. Hey, look, Craig has his dog. (laughs) Craig has his dog. This is Sophie. Sophie? Yeah, this is Sophie. 
I didn't know it was bring your pet to work day. I didn't know. Yeah. I missed the memo. He decided this. I didn't have any choice, apparently. Luke, why don't you? Who who's going to win the series, Luke? Uh, well, I uh, I'm taking the Islanders in six. Um, I want to I want to I want to pick the Penguins. I want to believe everything Petey just said. If they've looked a lot better this year, they are scoring goals. They are more balanced maybe this year than in years past. All those things ring true in the regular season. But when I watch them basically get completely shut out in that play-in series against Montreal last year after getting swept by the Islanders the year before. I vowed I'm not picking them again in the playoffs because the problem that they seem to have is they'll go in there. They're a better team than the Islanders, but if they lose game one, two to one, well, that's it. They're just not going to score more than one goal in any game for the rest of the series for some reason. So I'll give them two wins, which is probably more than I would have given them if you asked me to predict what Pittsburgh was going to do in the playoffs after they lost to Montreal last year. But uh, I don't think they're winning the series because I've seen this before. I've seen it against the Islanders before two years ago. Craig? Petey, go ahead. Oh, I'm going to go. It's going to be a better series than that. It's going to go back and forth. I think you're going to see good goaltending, high scoring games and momentum shifts for a couple of weeks. I've got Pittsburgh in seven. That is my exact prediction. Come on. I got Pittsburgh in seven. I don't, you know, listen, I, 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 I have a, I am a huge fan of Barry Trotz. I think he may be the best coach in the game right there with Joel. I'm, I'm really impressed with the job he's done on multiple stops. So I think, he will find a way to lengthen this series, but the Islanders just don't look the same to me without their captain. Kyle Palmieri, Palmieri excuse me, has not done much for them since he came over. I see the Penguins taking this series in seven games. I, I will say this now before I get really frustrated for the next two weeks. I credit the Penguins for not doing something stupid and hasty after last season and moving on from Mike Sullivan because I hear what you're saying. Barry Trotz is right there on the very short list of best coaches in the NHL. I do think Mike Sullivan is right in that tier just below as one of the oddly, maybe one of the more underrated coaches. But if you're drafting coaches to start your team, Mike Sullivan would be one of my top five picks. I just, for whatever reason, this, I don't want to pin it all on Malkin. I mean, if Malkin goes out there and plays well, then I think Pittsburgh has a good chance, but he hasn't done that in the playoffs in years and years. And when he doesn't play well, he's completely gone. Uh, all right, this is a series I'm looking forward to more than almost any other in the first round. Washington-Boston is, to me, maybe the most intriguing first-round series, especially with the way Taylor Hall is playing right now. Yeah, this is going to be a hell of a series. <laughs> yeah, they're, four, they're they're dead even for the for the season series at four four each. Um, been competitive games all the way through. Um I, I like, I even went to their last four games. They're, they're two and two in their last four. So there's nobody on a big streak here. I just think Boston made some big improvements at the trade deadline. And I'm concerned, uh, of some of the injuries that Washington is picking up late in the season could be a factor. Um, it, this is, you know, aside from the Toronto Montreal hype in the North division, I think this is the best hockey series in the first round. Um, I think you've got high-end talent on both teams. You've got guys that have won the cup on both teams. Um, this this could be a dogfight, and we'll throw Tom Wilson out there because I know how much Luke and Craig like to talk about Tom Wilson. I um, mean, you know, has he become a factor in this series? There's a lot of nuances in this matchup that I think are going to come to bear over the next you know ten days. How about Zidane Ochara versus old his old team too? Exactly. Storyline. I'm curious how that will play out. Yeah, this is. I don't know what the West matchups are going to look like yet. I. St. Louis could give some team a, a lot of trouble, so that could be a really good first-round matchup as well. But this is probably the best matchup in the first round. I love the Char thing. I wonder if Washington can figure out a way to contain, you know, the perfection line uh, 
Brad Marchand, seven goals, 13 points in seven games in this series. Patrice Bergeron, three goals, nine points in seven games. And Pasta had three goals and eight points in seven games. That line killed them. It, and, and, and I know they do that against a lot of teams, maybe not to that level, but that has to be priority number one for the Caps. Yeah, and when you get to predictions, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go with what I want to see. I, I want this to be the highlight game for a couple of weeks. I want this game, you know, I want this to, series to go the distance. I want to see a seven-game series. I will take the Boston Bruins in seven. Yeah, I'm going to do the same thing. Petey and I have been pretty lockstep here for three of these four series now. I have Boston in seven as well. And I, and I do think Taylor Hall is going to be the difference because Craig just pointed out the perfection line. By the way, Petey, at some point, Craig will reveal to you, as he did to, to Jamie and I, that he has like nine Patrice Bergeron tattoos all over his body and, and he's the biggest Bergeron fan. <laughs> yeah, as soon as he gets buffed up a little more. Yeah, he's, that's why he's working out. Um, Keep working at it. That top line is, is so dominant against really everybody. But even if Washington can find a way to slow them down, now you have Taylor Hall's line, and he just looks – I think a lot of us expected this, but he looks like a really good player that was set free, getting out of Buffalo and going right to Boston. He knows he has a chance to not just play in the playoffs now, but maybe win a cup this year. And, I mean, I think Washington's really good. I think, ironically, these are two of the only teams that really did anything of significance at the trade deadline now that we're looking at it. Anthony Mantha was a good pickup, and Taylor Hall was an amazing pickup. You're muted, Craig. Your first Craig time. Is, wow. <laughs> Unbelievable. Okay. Rookie I'm mistake. I'm so what's your prediction, Luke? I have Boston in seven. Okay. I have Boston in seven and two. On Taylor Hall, too, I think this is the perfect situation for him. He doesn't have to be the guy. He likes being the guy, but he doesn't have to be the guy here. He's not on that top line. He can he, he can get better matchups and have less pressure on him. It's a perfect situation for him. That goal he scored against the Islanders in overtime the other night to put Boston, or I guess it was to put them in the series with Washington, ironically. That was an interesting game because Trotz pulled his goalie with two two minutes left in a tied game in regulation because they had to get two points in regulation to, uh, to move up to third. But that goal Hall scored in overtime was just absurd. Uh, okay, let's go over to the Central Division. This is where it's going to get a little interesting for me. Florida and Tampa Bay, and I'll I'll start you off. I guess my main storyline is how healthy is Victor Hedman because he doesn't quite look the same. And I and there's all that talk about is Kucherov coming back, is is Stamkos coming back, and obviously those are big. And and to me, the longer the series goes and the more games those guys play, the more trouble Florida's in. But Tampa is not winning another Stanley Cup if Victor Hedman's not at least like 80% healthy. I'm not sure he is. Yeah, I don't think he is. Uh, in fact, I know he isn't. <laughs> Another one of my spies, Joe Smith. Thank you for some storylines. I don't think he's healthy. And and Petey mentioned this in the last podcast. Even with Kucherov and Stamkos back, how much can they add? I mean, how how long is it going to take those guys to round into not just game shape but playoff game shape? That takes a little while to get up to that pace. So th- those are major concerns for Tampa. Um, Florida's kind of had their number this season too. And Joel Quenville, as I mentioned earlier. This is one of the storylines for me to watch. He is just a masterful bench coach. I watched this for so many years in Chicago. He makes adjustments. He's really good at this. This isn't quite the Alligator Alley series, uh, although you can take that route to get up to Tampa, I suppose, from Miami. But I love the fact that these two teams are meeting in the postseason for the first time. It's a spectacular advertisement for the league Sunbelt experiment. And I'm going with the shocker here. I'm going to take the Panthers in seven. Wow. Yeah, I think this is a series that if everybody was healthy and we're playing an even team paper on paper, uh, Tampa Bay wins the series. 
unfortunately, injuries are going to be the biggest story of the series. You know, Goudreau out, McDonough, Palat potentially out, um, and Hedman clearly the the biggest injury. And even if he does play at, at what level, so I think that's the biggest issue in the series. Florida's injuries—they're missing Aaron Eckblad for the season—that hurts them. He's a leader. He does everything. He plays in all situations. He's a big key to their locker room. But I think he can still inspire the group off the ice. I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm going to go with Craig. I think Florida wins this series, but I, I've got Florida in six. The only hope Tampa has is if they can get great goaltending the first three to somehow get a win and get healthy by later in the series. And the other thing, too, this team's tired. I, I think people sometimes forget that the bubble was later in the year than a normal playoff season. And these guys played a very long time in the bubble. It drained on them emotionally and physically. They're exhausted. I don't know if they can battle back from that. And that's another reason I think Florida is going to win the series. Yeah. It's, you said Florida in seven, Petey? Six. 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 Okay. It, it's, you know, it's something to keep an eye on because like in years past, it was okay. Well, is, is Tampa Bay going to be able to go out there and exercise the demons of falling apart in the first round or that, that series they had against Washington a few years ago where it looked like they had it wrapped up and they were going to the cup and they completely shut down for game six and game seven. I mean, if, if this is not Tampa Bay anywhere near full strength, it feels weird to pick them. I'm going to pick them. I'll give them the respect of winning the cup last year, but I absolutely could see Florida winning the series. And if it's short, it's definitely Florida winning the series, but I'll go with Tampa in seven. But to the point, that you guys made it's it's not just it's not just hey can Stamkos and Kucherov come back it's can you come back and be in hockey shape and can you come back and be in playoff shape and those aren't third line guys they're asking them to come back instantly be in in playoff shape and then carry them in this series and so I absolutely could see Florida winning but I will I'll take Tampa Bay in seven that's going to be a fun series too this one is probably the one I care the least about Carolina and Nashville I'm, I'm still not sure how Nashville got in but here we are I'm in the same boat. I don't yeah. care. Top of my notes, I have HK. Like, <laughs> I, I just, I, I really thought Dallas was going to get in. I thought that matchup on Saturday head-to-head against Nashville, I thought they were going to win and we'd be talking about Dallas today. Not that that series would be a whole lot more exciting. There's something about Carolina that people just aren't gravitating to. They're, they're a good hockey team. Um, they win as a group. They play as a group. Um, they've got some talent on that team. It's a good hockey team. Nashville's windows closed. Um, I just I don't know how they're going to compete in this series. I think Carolina is going to be too fast, too offensive, and I think it's going to be quick. Carolina in five. Yeah, I've got Carolina in five too. We point out that Nashville. We don't know how they got in, but they are. I was looking at the league standings today. Right now, the only two teams that are out of the top sixteen are St. Louis and Montreal. The only two playoff teams. St. Louis is probably going to get back into the top sixteen with just one point. Montreal's probably not going to be there. So Montreal's the one team. If we went to that format that we've talked about, where the top sixteen teams make the playoffs, the Canadians would not be in this year. Yeah, the, the Nashville's on that. Of the 16 teams that are going to make the playoffs, I really, I, I could see a scenario, some of them a little far-fetched, but either way, I could see 13 of these teams winning the Stanley Cup this year. Like, it's, I could at least talk myself into it. Nashville, Montreal, and now Winnipeg. I just, I can't talk myself in any way where those three teams have a chance to win the Cup. So that means five of these series, these to me, have two teams that have legitimate Cup aspirations. This one, not the case. But with Carolina, I mean... I, they're not being talked about right now. They have the best record in hockey and, and Rod Brindamore is one of the best coaches in hockey. 
Why is that? Is it just simply because when they lose in the playoffs, they lose quickly in the playoffs? Like when they get into a series that they're not going to win, they just seem like they're done two games in. I don't know because, you you know, when other small market teams have seasons like this, they do get a lot of attention still. And, and, you know, the Coyotes, it wasn't like the Coyotes in 2012 were under the radar. People were aware of it. It was a good story. So maybe that was because of all the relocation stuff off the ice that made people think of them. But, yeah, it's weird how under the radar Carolina is with the season that they're having. To me, this and when you when when you look at what we just talked about in the last series, if Tampa goes out, if your your Cup champion goes out, Carolina has a really good chance to be in the conference final and make a, a really deep run this year. Underplayed yeah, I, story. Go ahead, Pete. You know what? You, you talk about why. I, I think the biggest reason people aren't talking about them is the format of the divisions this year. Nobody else has seen Carolina. Um, they're not a national TV story. They, they don't get the weekend game. They Pittsburgh and Washington. We have to watch every week. Um, so. I think that's the biggest thing. And they don't have that big name draw. They don't have that first round, first overall draft pick. Um, but quietly became the best team in the league. And Rob Brindamore, unbelievable job he's done there. Um, and, and when you talk about coaches, and we talked about Seattle earlier, his name has to be coming up there. And you know Ronnie Francis would love to be able to get him in an interview room. I just don't think there's any chance that Brindamore leaves Carolina. I just zero chance. He he's going to be a hurricane head coach for a while. I know they're just talking money. They'll get that sorted out. This team could be dangerous. They play together. They play as a group. They're inspired. Um and I think fans once they see him in the playoffs are going to realize this is a pretty fun team to watch. I like how they have that sort of us against the world mentality down there. Um you know, you've seen all the stuff that they do for the fans, that the way they engage fans like nobody else, maybe Vegas rivals them. There's a lot of cool stuff happening in that market. I don't think the owner is one of them, to be honest. I think he's a problem, but they they do come together. They're interesting. To me, the only way Nashville's competitive in the series is if UC Soros can steal a series or, or steal some games. Um, he had a terrific regular season again, just like he did last year, but his playoff performance against the Coyotes was not good. Or what about the the, the Hollywood ending, Craig? Soros gets hurt and Pecorini comes in. He's retiring. Oh. He comes in and stands on his head. That's that's the storybook ending for the Nashville Predators. Pekka Rennie stealing the series. He stands on his head, but they still lose one to nothing because I don't know how they're <laughs> going to Carolina. Let's get yeah. to the West. Well, the other thing, too, real quick on Carolina, they won two playoff series two years ago. They were in the conference finals. And then last year they won that qualifying round series. So technically they went out in the first round. But the only team that's that's handled them in the playoffs the last couple of years has been Boston. They're obviously not playing Boston right now. All right. The, uh, the West is a little complicated because as we're recording this, we don't know for sure that Vegas has won the division. If they beat San Jose tonight, they win the division. If not, they leave the door open for Colorado. I'm going to assume they're going to beat San Jose tonight and just lock up the division before we get into any of this though. Weird situation the other night when they could have already just wrapped up the president's trophy. They couldn't field a full roster because of salary cap issues against Colorado. And that's happened a few times this season. And I, and I don't have a way to, to, verify this but somebody told me it's happened four times and they've lost all four games that's leaving some points out can they not fix this for next year yeah and that's it's almost like a oh really i mean we're in this situation how come we didn't get this sorted out it's it, it's it's kind of a weird situation yeah and it has happened for i think it happened against the coyotes well because it's a big deal right if they drop the second and play minnesota minnesota has owned vegas since vegas came into the league yeah, it is a very big deal. But I, I, again, like you said, I think they're going to win this game and, and clinch the division. But man, if they don't, then it gets really interesting in this division. I think we all want to see Vegas play Colorado, though, because those are two 
two of the very top teams in the NHL, two of the top cup contenders. Yeah, I think we've been saying it since the drop of the puck. Vegas and Colorado are the elite teams in this division. You know, I think we expected St. Louis to be a little bit better. They're playing better of late. They're not the team we thought they would be. Uh, Minnesota was the surprise wild card and has done a lot of great things this season. Uh, they've played hard. They've really done well against Vegas. I still don't think Minnesota's quite ready for the next step where I think Vegas and Colorado, they're there. I mean, this, this is their time to run deep into the playoffs and run for a Stanley Cup. Unfortunately, they're going to have to meet each other in, in the second round. I don't see Vegas slipping up here, especially if they play St. Louis. Um, the one thing interesting, and I know we talk about toughness, the, you know, Ryan Reeves isn't going to be in the playoffs. Ryan Reeves can adjust things in the playoffs and make things difficult for opponents. Um, him being out, will be a piece that they miss more than they think they will. I, and that's a, that's a, a guy that doesn't add a lot of offense. He doesn't even add a lot of minutes, but he has a lot of fear. Uh, so with him being out of the lineup, I, I think that's something that Vegas would like to see in, in long playoff runs. But I still have Vegas, regardless of their opponent, even if it is Minnesota that they struggle against um, this year, I've got them against St. Louis in five. Yes, yeah, they're 6-1-1 one one against St. Louis in the in the regular season. And as much as I like how St. Louis is playing. I, and those are, those are tough matchups. So I, I, I know they won the cup in 2019, so you can't take that team lightly, but yeah, I don't see them winning either of those series. I think we're going to get Colorado and Vegas in the uh, division final. That's the other one to me. That's, that's right there with Toronto and Edmonton. Those are the two second round matchups. I really want to see for obvious reasons. Um, if, if we're going to do this operating the Vegas under the assumption that Vegas plays St. Louis, I'll go Vegas in six. PD, you said Vegas in five. Craig, what do you correct? I'll go six, too. Okay. And then Colorado, Minnesota. You know, Minnesota, they're not, they're not a boring team anymore. They are, they're not as exciting as Colorado is, but they could make that series interesting. And Kaprizov's rookie year, I mean, this is, you start to look now, he's, this is a pretty remarkable rookie season that, that might get lost in the history books because it was only a 56 game season. So his stats aren't going to be as eye popping as they maybe would have been over 82 games, but he has been remarkable this year. Yeah, I, I, he has been. He's been a wonder to watch, but there's Colorado still 5-2-1 against Minnesota. And I, I wonder if, if Jamie Eisner were here, if he would be predicting that the Minnesota Wild would be his, his 2021-22 candidate for nonlinear progression. We've seen the Wild have rises where we thought, ah, this team is finally on the rise. Can they sustain this? We'll see you next season. I, I, I love watching Kirill Kaprasov play, play hockey, but. I still have some questions about this roster going forward. They surprised me this season. They were much better than I thought they'd be. We'll see if they can sustain it. The problem with Colorado is the same problem we said last year. The same problem we said during the regular season is their goaltending. And Dubnik right now is out day to day. So, where is their goaltending going to be? And, you know, Sod's out. Gerard is a question mark going in. Um, Injuries are a big deal for Colorado, and they seem to come up at the worst times, and they're going to come up in playoffs again. They're one injury from being out, I think. Um, if if they're healthy and that top line can stay together, gosh, they'll they'll they're the best offensive line in hockey. They this team can score at will, um, and I don't think Minnesota is ready to sustain that kind of pressure game in and game out unless there's injuries. Um, I, I, I think we're all looking for Colorado Vegas. I think that's going to happen. I think Colorado is going to beat Minnesota in six games. I think there'll be some good contests. 
I think there'll be some high scoring contests, but, but ultimately Colorado is just too strong, too fast and too offensive minded. So we're, we're all in agreement, obviously that if Phil, Philip Grubauer gets injured, having to maybe turn to, to, yeah, right. to who like exactly so Dubnik will be back. Jojo rabbit. Um, yeah. You don't want him in goal. You, you got no chance if, if he's in goal. He's not a good, he's not an NHL goaltender. But are we assuming that Philip Grubauer is ready for this challenge himself? It's not like he has much of a body of evidence to prove that he's a great playoff goaltender. This is one of those opportunities in the playoffs where it's not going to need great goaltending. This team's strong enough that they just need average goaltending to to compete for a cup. I I think you've seen it before, Craig. You've seen it in Chicago where they've they've been able to win without outstanding goaltending, good goaltending. You know, but but not outstanding goaltending. And I think this is the same case in Colorado. He just needs to be okay, and and okay is good enough for this team because they're so elite offensively. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you guys on that, Craig. Are you going to have Sophie come back and make the pick? No, she's not making no. any predictions. Right. She's not happy with the current situation. Oh, that's a shame. I have Colorado in seven. Peter, you said Colorado in six. Yes, over Minnesota. Okay, Craig, who you have? I'm taking Colorado in six. Uh, we agree that that's uh, of all the potential missed opportunities. If that scenario that you just threw out there plays out and Colorado loses because of goaltending anywhere before at least the, uh, the, the semifinals, if not the Stanley cup, Joe Sackick's done an amazing job with that team. I mean, a couple of years ago, people were talking about him and Jared Bednar being gone before this ever even really got started. And then he fleeced Nashville in that trade and everything turned around, but man, that that's not going to look good if Colorado loses in the playoffs because of goaltending, because you have a chance to win the Stanley cup right now. In a lot of ways, you might be the favorite to win the Stanley cup, except you didn't address goaltending at the deadline. I think he does. He will deservedly be skewered. If that's the case, you have to make sure that again, I, I know I've said this a million times, but cup windows are short. They've got some contracts coming due, including Gabe Landeskog and some young players. You got to take advantage of it. When you have the opportunity, you got to kick that door open. All right, so we did it. We did our predictions for the whole first round. We didn't ask for questions this week because we were trying to avoid doing a seven-hour show, but I will point out a few people did write in. Nonlinear donut ball delivery said, I listened all the way through the podcast for the full hour and a half, and I'm tweeting that as requested. What do I win? First of all, for calling them donut balls instead of donut holes, you win my undying admiration. And Petey also calls them donut balls, so this this podcast has gotten much better than it used to be. Yeah, and and, and nonlinear, I don't I don't – Traditionally, as, as everyone is well aware, don't, don't get that whole Twitter thing. I, I, I don't have, well, I have one, but I don't tell anybody it. Um, but I was following this closely after the, the podcast went up to see if actually anybody put in that time. Um, they had to bring a sack lunch, I'm sure, maybe a nap, but they got through it. And I got to give it to nonlinear first guy on, like it hadn't even been up barely an hour and a half and he had, he'd already submitted it. So, so kudos to him. And I will, as we talked about prizes, I'm not ready to give them out yet, but I have a lot of Coyote memorabilia I've obtained over the years that needs to find a new home because I, I just I don't need it anymore, and I just need to get rid of it. So don't be surprised if we start doing the Natty Hattie Coyote memorabilia of the week giveaway. It could be coming. Nice. You, uh, Luke, you going to read those few other responses to our podcast? Uh, yeah, there was- there were a few people that, that wrote in and listened all the way to the end. Los Coyote Steve said I listened to the end. Um, Loyal Sif <laughs> liked the intro with and Steve Peters, so I encourage you <laughs> just to listen to the intro. Um, I'm, there was a few. Oh, I don't. I, I can't. Oh, I'll, I'll pull that one up myself. Yes, I listened all the way to the end of the podcast. 
if I hear any more whining about the podcast link from Twitterless Steve Peters, <laughs> I'm going to force him to listen to five Jamie Eisner podcasts a day while he eats ketchupless hot dogs. Who said that? Who was that from? <laughs> Chris and Phoenix. Okay. I'll, maybe I'll get my Twitter handle out there so people can give it to me directly, as I probably deserve. Petey, you wanted to give a shout out to one more person, I believe, uh, you know, going back to the Coyotes for a minute. Uh, really cool moment uh, with Aaron Ness, who had gone all season long without playing a game, toiling on the taxi squad. He hadn't played in Tucson or Arizona. He got to play in the final game of the season and wear the A as the alternate captain. You know, I, I, I looked at Aaron Ness and what he had to put up with for this season. And I know you wrote a really nice article on it. Um, I, I don't know if, again, if listeners can, can put themselves in his shoes. Um, and I don't know what everyone here does for a living, but if, if you're a pilot and you go to the airport every day, you go to the airport, you drive there and you go, Oh gosh, maybe I get to fly a plane today. And they go, No, you're going to fly a simulator again today. And you're like, Oh no. And you don't know when you go to work every day if you're actually going to get to do the job you're prepared for, trained for, educated for. And you do that for a long time. And not only do you not get to play games, you have to practice. And these practices on the taxi squad were difficult. There's six and seven players at a time. There's a lot of conditioning skates. It's not really focused. It's hard to practice with six guys. It is an unbelievably difficult situation. And Aaron Ness, not only did it, he did it with a smile on his face. He worked hard every day. He was an inspiration to the guys in the taxi squad because he did it the right way as a professional. And I have to tip my hat to the Coyotes organization. I don't know if it was the coaching staff, uh, the, the training staff, the, the leadership inside the locker room. I don't know where it where it came from. But for him to be able to walk in that room and see the A on his jersey um, really speaks volume to to this organization. I give a lot of respect for that decision. I, I know, um, you know, some people may say that he's, he's a guy that hasn't played all year and he's, you know, you, there's other people that could, could wear that letter and lead you. But, but I think that was an inspirational story for the, the players to see how he reacted to all this. And, and I, I again, I, I'm really proud of, of the organization that they followed through with that. Um, and, and, and Aaron wore it proudly. And, and I think it was a, a great testament to his hard work. So, so kudos to Aaron Ness and the Coyotes organization. Very well said. Aaron Ness, I mean, Petey obviously knows him better than we do, but Craig, I, you've talked to him too. I mean, just a really good guy, like one of those guys that plays hockey for the love of the game. And, and that was put to the test this year, right? You're constantly getting ready to play a game that you never get to play. And then, yeah, to not only get to play in the finale, but to get to wear the A was just a really cool story. It was weird. They lost that game to L.A., and they were officially eliminated from playoff contention. And then those two San Jose games had a ton of storylines, which you wouldn't normally see because you had Soderstrom and you had Yannick scoring in both games, and you had the the uh, the A on Ness's uh, jersey. I mean, the last two games were actually pretty fun, but maybe some of that is because they didn't mean as much, so there wasn't as much pressure. I don't know. Um a lot of people wrote in and said they listened to the end, so I'm not going to read all their names. Okay. I get it. I get it. I won't mention it again. I got Ethan it. Ethan said he would listen to a three-hour podcast, and I will uh, – I'll, I'll Is that with Jamie, question. too? If Jamie was here, would he listen for three hours? No, absolutely. He said if it was if it was you guys, he would listen for three hours. <laughs> so I assume he means the three of us. One question, uh, Coach East Jack, what sort of deal would you give Connor Garland? Is this something we want to answer in the coming weeks, or do you want to throw a, a shot at it right now, Craig? I don't know that I want to tackle that just yet. I, okay. I, I think that his camp, I wrote this, that his camp will be looking at uh, 
Clayton Keller, of course, and Willie Nylander as comparables. I think that's uh, a, a bit rich for the Coyotes' blood. I think uh, they're going to be a bit lower, maybe around $5 million a season. We'll see what the length is, what the term looks like. But there, there's a lot of negotiation to, to come. So and we'll I think see. in the upcoming episodes, I think there's going to be a lot of those free agent discussions coming up of these guys that they need to get signed. Where does OEL go? Um, what happens with Kessel? Does Bunting get a new deal? Like, There's going to be a lot of question marks over the next few months and prior to the draft to see how this Coyotes roster is going to round out. Yeah, absolutely. With the expansion draft coming up as well. All right. We kept this right around an hour. This is a, this is a personal best for us. Uh, for Steve Peters, for Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick podcast.